We are in Matthew chapter 21 in our series uh, called As You Go, looking specifically at the master disciple maker, Jesus himself. And we begin a lot of our Sunday mornings with a quiz. And we've got a, a, a quiz today. And I need to tell you that this is probably the hardest quiz we've had so far. In fact, I would be surprised if anyone got all of them. If you get all five, please come and tell me because I'm not sure I could get all five, just to let you know. But, but in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus is going to ride a donkey into Jerusalem. And I got to thinking, wonder how often Jesus talked about animals. You know, is Jesus an animal person? Uh, June and I are not. Uh, you know, we, we don't have a dog, we don't have cats, we don't have a goldfish or a hamster. All I have is June, and all June has is me, all right, just so that you know. But uh, Jesus very likely was an animal person and spoke of them often. So here we go, question number one. In what chapters do you find references to a dove or doves? And there's two possibilities. So get a chapter in your mind. When did Jesus mention or Matthew mention a dove? Not necessarily Jesus, my, Matthew may have mentioned it. And if you came up with chapter 3 and 10, one of those two, you got it. In chapter 3, the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. In chapter 10, Jesus said, as you go out, speaking to the 12, you be as wise as a serpent, but as harmless as doves. Question number 2, what chapters do you find mention of a camel or camels? Now, boy, this one threw me. Now I'm sitting there thinking, there's something about camels? Yeah, again, going back, chapter 3, and this time chapter 19. Chapter 3, John's clothing was made out of what? Camel's hair. Boy, that one, I, I kept thinking, there's a camel in Matthew 3? Yeah, camel's hair. And then in chapter 19, Jesus said it's easier for a rich man, or it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than it is for a camel to enter a what? I have a needle. There you go. Question number three. In what chapter does a Canaanite woman state that even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table? Tough one here. Kind of a pinnacle of a section of Matthew's gospel. That's chapter 15, right before the feeding of the 4,000, which is also about Gentiles. Question number four. What chapter does Jesus mention foxes? Now, boy, that one will get you. Jesus, in, in Matthew chapter 8, has a guy comes up and says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And then the last one, number 5, in what chapter does Jesus utilize two fish from a young boy? And, of course, if you know anything about the feeding of the 5,000, 4,000, 5,000, two fish, 4,000, several fish, and the 5,000, of course, is in 14. All right, again, I'm not going to embarrass me by asking everybody to raise their hand who got it. But if you did get it, let me know. I'd love to see how well you had this. All right, we are in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 is an incredible chapter in that it is a point in Jesus' life where Jesus comes to a line and Jesus has to decide whether or not he's going to cross it. I want you to think about points in your life where you've crossed a line where you knew that once you crossed it, there was no going back. I think of a few. You probably can think of these. Remember high school graduation? Some of y'all just graduated. 
I remember uh, standing outside the uh, uh, auditorium there at Ripley High School and thinking to myself, now what? I mean, for 12 years, I've gone to school. I lived with mom and dad. My life was structured. Now what? And boy, I tell you, when you graduate from high school and you're like, I just crossed the line. I'm not sure where I go from here. Or how about marriage? I mean, any of y'all, as your ladies, as you're walking down the aisle going, do I really want to do this? By the way, that's a bad time to ask that question, all right? Uh, and, and now, maybe even worse right after you've said I do. But anyway, uh, you know, do I really? I mean, you cross that line of marriage and you're like, okay, there's no one going back. As June dad told me, there's no returns. Okay, she gave her away, you ain't giving her back. And then what about when you have a kid? I'm standing at St. Joseph Hospital and, and I'm looking at a brand new baby boy and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world have June and I done? I'm serious as a heart attack. I'm like, we have just crossed the line. We got to take him home with us. Wow! You know, and boy, how that changed our life. Jesus is fixing to cross the line. Not only is he crossing a line for which there is no return, but I, but I think about dominoes. I don't know how many of y'all played with dominoes when you were a kid. By the way, when people say to me, do you play dominoes? I'm like, I did when I was a kid, but it wasn't the game. You know, you set the dominoes up, and you'd make all these intricate patterns, and then what would happen once you clicked one? All would fall. I love this picture of a world record, and everything spelling world record is a domino. And once you hit the first, and of course, you almost get it done, and your little sister would walk in and hit one of them, and you're like, no! You know, how dare you do all of that work, you know, mess it up for me. Jesus is fixing to cross the line, and he's fixing to tip a a domino for which there is no return. So let's jump into the text. Matthew chapter 20, last week's lesson, tells us that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He told the apostles for the third time what was fixing to happen, how he was going to suffer, die, and be raised the third day. And and so when you get into chapter 1, one of the things, and I need to let you know this, that Matthew does is he jumps right into the story, and Matthew is more concerned with the action in the story than he is with the details of the story. One of the things that's fascinating about Matthew is he just ignores sometimes chronology, just ignores it. I mean, you turn over to Mark's gospel and you're like, whoa, whoa, Matthew, you, you got this out of place. Matthew doesn't care about things being in place. He's trying to make a point, and so he takes Mark's work and he moves it where he needs to to make his point and to drive it home. You need to remember that about Matthew. And so Matthew is fixing to skip a lot of information that you find in, in Mark's gospel, in Luke's gospel, and especially in John's gospel. And so in 21, it's Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning. It's the week of Passover. Jesus is leaving the little village of Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live, and he's fixing to cross over and enter into Jerusalem. It's going to take all day to do it because it's Passover week. Thousands of people are pouring in. The roads are clogged. And then there's word that Jesus is on his way. And boy, does that create a scene. And so Jesus leaves Bethany. Now again, you go back to the other Gospels, you fill in a lot of blanks. You see, Jesus very likely came to Bethany on on Friday afternoon. 
He gets there. The Sabbath began at sundown Friday night. That's the way Jews calculate time. He observed the Sabbath day. Sunday night after sundown, there's a dinner given in his honor. It's at the house of Simon the leper. Lazarus is there. Someone he had recently raised from the dead. There are crowds everywhere wanting to see Lazarus, the guy who's been raised from the dead. I mean, masses of people getting ready to go into Jerusalem. It is a scene of chaos. Mary comes, anoints Jesus. Judas gets all upset because of the waste of perfume. Of course, he really wanted the money. All of that, Matthew just leaps over. Because Matthew's wanting you to see what happens in Jerusalem. So let's jump in. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, he sends two disciples, go down into the village. In other words, goes in, go into Bethpage, and there you'll find a donkey with her foal with her. Uh, unhook them, bring them to me. If someone says, why are you doing it? Tell them the Lord needs them, and they'll send them on. And so they do that. This was to fulfill, Matthew says, that which was speaking, spoken by the prophet, and then quotes Zechariah 9, 9, about Jesus, about their king, coming to them, riding on the foal of a donkey. And of course, for Matthew, this is huge. Everything Jesus did in Matthew's gospel is about fulfilling the law and, and, and the Psalms and the, and the prophets. I mean, Matthew is very Jewish conscious, and you need to see that in his gospel. And so when they bring the donkeys to Jesus, they, they take their cloaks, they throw them on the foal or on the donkey. Most scenes only has Jesus with one of them. Well, we know from Matthew <coughs> that there's two of them. There's the mother, and then there's the foal that comes together. Jesus is evidently riding, at least for a time, on the foal. Crowds of people. Crowds in front of him. Who hear he's coming. They've stopped. Crowds behind him. And as Jesus begins to make his way over the Mount of Olives, and folks, it's not that far. We're talking about maybe a mile, mile and a half. I mean, it's not that far from Bethpage or Bethany over to Jerusalem. But, but there's masses of people. Everybody wants to see the prophet from Galilee. And so as Jesus is riding, people are coming. They're putting their cloaks in front of him. They're cutting palm branches off the date palm trees. They're laying them in front. People are singing in the front, in the back. I mean, it is a parade unlike any ever seen in history. Again, Matthew doesn't give us the details. He goes to the Mount of Olives. He looks over the city. He weeps. He prays for her. He gives a warning of what's coming. All of that Matthew skips. It's not important. And so Matthew goes straight with all the crowd singing, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. We have great singing. Let me tell you, the singing that day, Blake, must have been magnificent. People just breaking out. Now, usually the pilgrims would sing. But now they're singing specifically about one who's coming into the city. And when he entered Jerusalem, I love this part right here. <coughs> I don't know if you've ever been close to where there's been a, been a big sporting event. Y'all remember the Music City Miracle? Y'all remember that? That incredible pass at the last second that sent the Titans in, into, you know, the championship game. I mean, just this incredible, incredible play. And, and I, I've heard people who were there at the game who after the Titans had gone down, they left. Because there's no way with those few seconds left the Titans can come back. And they're out getting in their cars in the parking lot when what happens at the stadium? 
roar, this incredible roar, screaming, and everyone outside is going, rats. Left too early. What's going on? Well, in Jerusalem, that's what happened. A roar is coming from the Mount of Olives, singing unlike anything they had ever heard, crowds like, unlike anything they had ever seen. And so the city of Jerusalem's going, what in the world is going on? Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And the dominoes are falling. I mean, he just lit the fuse that's going to set in motion the events of Passion Week, and there's no turning back. Now, what's fascinating about this in Matthew's gospel is he goes straight to the temple and cleanses it. Again, Matthew's not concerned with chronology. You go back to Mark's gospel, and Mark tells us it's late in the day when he finally gets into the temple. He goes in, he looks around, he sees what's going on. You can see his furor beginning to build, and then he leaves. Goes back to Bethany, spends the night, comes back the next morning. And so in reality, he cleanses the temple on Monday morning. Matthew's not concerned about that. Again, he's not looking at chronology. He's looking at the story. Jesus goes straight in, and and if you're reading just Matthew, it happens on Sunday. But that's only for people who read chronologically. Because Matthew's not concerned with what day of the week it happened. He's only concerned with what happened. And Jesus goes in, and he starts throwing over tables, and he he starts driving out the animals. I mean, it's just chaos in the temple. And the people who work in the temple, the Sadducees, the priests, and then the religious leaders are like, what in the world is going on? Now, I I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but imagine that you went home today after church. And you pull up in your driveway and your back door's open. You're like, that's odd. And you notice that the lights are on. And you're thinking, wonder who's here? I mean, I mean, and so you go to the house and you kind of ease into the house real easy and you look and your TV is on and the refrigerator door is left open and you look inside the living room and inside your, your, your recliner is, is, is a neighbor who, I mean, you know him, but that's all you do is you know him and he's sitting there watching the game and you're going, can I ask you a question? What, what are you doing in my house? And of course, if he said, it's not your house, this is my house. You would think you're kidding me. But that's exactly the way the Pharisees and the Sadducees are. What are you doing in our house? And Jesus says, it's not your house. There's the problem. He said to them, it's written, my house. It's not your house. This is the house of God. It's my house. And my house should be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves, grabbing passages out of Isaiah and Jeremiah. He said, what do you think you've done? And then Matthew tells us something else that nearly everybody misses. You can't miss this, folks. This is huge. It's just one of those little verses that you read and you go, so? He did that all the time. No, he did not. Look at the text. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. You see, if you know anything about temple, if you know anything about the law, guess who wasn't allowed in the temple? anyone who had a physical disability. If you were lame, you, you couldn't go in the temple. If you were blind, you couldn't go in the temple. If you were a eunuch, a.k.a. the Ethiopian eunuch over in Acts chapter 8, you couldn't go in the temple. 
And yet today, with all the chaos going on, and everybody hearing that Jesus of Nazareth, the miracle worker, is here, the blind and the lame are pouring into the temple. You can't do that. Yes, we can. And of course, the, the, the people who are watching are just furious. And yet only Jesus could fix the problem as to why they couldn't be in the temple. You know, whenever Jesus met lepers, he oftentimes touched them. And everybody knew that if you touched a leper, you became unclean, not Jesus. Jesus touched lepers and they became clean. He reversed the process. And so here comes the lame, here comes the blind, and guess what? Jesus makes them so that they can stay in the temple because they're no longer lame or blind. He's reversing the process, and everybody's amazed. And the chief priests and the scribes and the religious leaders, they're like, what are we going to do? And they hear the children crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. And more, they're getting angrier and angrier. And so they come up and they say, do you hear what these are saying? And of course, you remember in one of the other texts, Jesus says, yeah, and if they didn't say it, the rocks would cry out. Here he says, have you not read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you've prepared praise. I mean, why are you asking this question? It's all part of what God said would happen. And so lesson number two, very important lesson for all of us. Disciples of Jesus will always encounter anger, opposition, and resistance when we stand up for Jesus Christ. I mean, if there's anything that this triumphant entry is, is, is mentioning is that sometimes we're welcome and sometimes we're resisted and oftentimes at the same event. At work, there are some people who are going to come to you and say, could you pray for me? There are other people who are going to come to you and say, I don't like you praying here at the office. Some people will come to you and say, where in the Bible is this found? Others will come to you. Why do you have a Bible on your desk? That's not appropriate. We're always going to receive both praise and resistance at the same time, and we need to realize it. Matthew quickly goes on, says that Jesus goes out to Beth and he comes back the next morning. That part is true, but in Mark's gospel, he cleanses the temple on, on Monday morning, goes out to Bethany and comes back on Tuesday morning. In Matthew's gospel, it seems like it's Monday morning. It's not. Don't read it chronologically, okay? But anyway, Jesus is coming in from Bethany. He sees a fig tree. You've got to remember this is Passover or Easter, late March, very likely early April with these trees budding. He sees a fig tree. There's early fruit sometimes on these fig trees. And so he goes looking for fruit. It's not there. And he curses it. And he doesn't do it because he's mad at the fig tree. He does it because it's a, a miracle that's a parable. It's a parable about how that he's come to Israel looking for fruit, and there's no fruit there. And the disciples are sitting there, and they're watching as the tree in Matthew's gospel instantly withers. Now, again, you go to Mark's gospel. He curses it Tuesday morning. It withers by Tuesday night. Okay, you're looking at it chronologically, you're like, okay, so there's like 12 hours between the stories, yes. Again, Matthew's not concerned about that. Matthew's simply wanting to say, do you see what Jesus said? And the disciples pointed out, Lord, look how quickly this tree has withered. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt. By the way, that's been the theme all the way through Matthew's gospel. Are you going to believe? And it's the same question 
We'll see that here in a moment that we have to answer today. Jesus said, by the way, if you, if you believe and pray, you can even say to this mountain here, be thrown into the sea. They're on the Mount of Olives. On the Mount of Olives, the very top, you can see the Dead Sea in the distance in the east. You can see the temple over here in the west. I mean, you can see both at the same time. You can see Mount Zion. You can see the Mount, of course, you're on the Mount of Olives, and you can see the Dead Sea. And Jesus said, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can tell this mountain to be thrown into the Dead Sea, and it'll happen. And, of course, the point that Jesus is making is very simple. Ultimately, discipleship's about faith. We'll talk about this at the end of our lesson here in just a moment. But you've got to decide, do you really believe in this man named Jesus? And are you going to follow him? There's the question. Chief priest, elders of the people, they come up to Jesus and they want to know something. Where in the world do you come off being and acting this way? Who gave you this authority? Now, at the end of the day, we need to realize lesson number four. Everybody acknowledges authority from somewhere. You know, I mean, all of us have to, have to answer to an authority. All of us do. You'll leave here today, you'll get on the road, and I promise you, you drive like a crazy maniac, you're going to answer to authority. You go to work, you got a boss, you answer to authority. Uh, Jim Pettigo knows I have a running joke around here. Every, every time Jim's with me and somebody walks up, I go, you know, this is one of my bosses right here. And Jim just starts laughing. I mean, he just starts laughing. I don't know if he's laughing because he likes that thought or if he's laughing thinking, yeah, right. But anyway, you know, everybody's under authority somewhere. And that was huge for the Jews. You followed authority. Well, Jesus fired back at them and he says, I'll tell you what, I'll ask you a question. You answer it, I'll tell you what authority I'm doing this. And then he says, John's baptism, did it come from heaven or from men? And the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees are stuck. You see, when John came about four years earlier, the masses, the masses followed him. They were baptized for him, by him. They believed he was a prophet from God. Not the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They refused it. And so Jesus, knowing that, says, John's baptism, from heaven or from men? And they get together and they said, we, we can't say from men that the people hold him as a prophet, but if we say from God, he's going to say, why weren't you baptized by him? And so their response is, well, I can't tell you. And Jesus says, then neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then Jesus tells two parables of a series of parables on judgment. And the stories are simply meant to say, I'm going to tell you religious leaders in a form of story what you're really like. And so he launches into them. He says, man had a vineyard. Goes to his oldest son and says, go work in the vineyard. He says, I will not. And then when the dad leaves to go to the other son, he decides he should, shouldn't have said that to his dad, and he goes work in the vineyard. He says, Dad goes to the second son, go work in my vineyard. Yes, sir, I'll go work in the vineyard. But then he doesn't go. Jesus says, which son actually obeyed his father? Is it the one who said, I won't, but then does, or the one who says, I will, but then doesn't? And then Jesus says to them, and of course they answer it, the first and Jesus says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. 
Those who resisted God are now responding to God, and those who claim that they were on God's side are now rejecting God. And so he hits them with this miracle, I mean, with this parable, just right in their face. He says, here's another one. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a tower, leased it to tenants, and went away to another country. Some of you can relate to this. If you own houses, then you very likely know what it's like to, you know, buy a house and then give it over to a rental agency who's going to manage it for you. And what they're going to do is take care of it, and occasionally they'll write you a check and send it to you. That's the way it worked back then. Man built a vineyard, put everything in it that was needed, rented it out to tenants, then went away expecting to receive money from what he had invested. So he started sending servants back. And some of the servants that he sent back, they beat. Others they killed. They still stoned another. Finally, he said, I'll send my son. And of course, all of us know what that means. Story of God and Jesus. And God sending prophet after prophet after prophet. And then finally says, I'll send my son. But what do they do to the son? This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And so they threw him out and they murdered him. Just like they're going to do four or five days later. So Jesus asked them, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what's he going to do to those tenants? They said, oh, he's going to put those wretches to a miserable death, let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruit in their season. You see, they told the truth without realizing that the truth was about them. And so Jesus says, lesson number five, very important point. There are consequences for those who reject Jesus as the Messiah. Was back then, still are today. For people who hear the story of Jesus of Nazareth, they have to make a decision. Either to listen to it and to follow him, or to reject him and suffer the consequences. And so Jesus talks about the consequences. Have you never read in the scripture the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. You look at that text from Psalm 118 and you go, what? What's this cornerstone theology? Well, it's about a building, but it's more than a building. It's also a story about consequences. And it's one of those where you read it and you go, Jesus said that? Yeah. Look at what Jesus said. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God is going to be taken away from you. It's going to be given to a people producing its fruits. That's why most of us in here today are Gentiles. God took it away from the Jews. And he gave it to the Gentiles. And it's been producing fruit ever since. He then goes on and he says, and the one who falls on this stone, they're going to be broken to pieces. And let me tell you, whoever the stone falls on, it's going to crush them. Now, y'all, that's coming from Jesus. I mean, that's kind of like the the kid in high school who says, listen, you want to mess with me? You mess with me and see what happens to you. It's basically what Jesus is saying. I mean, you want to reject me? You reject me and see what happens. And of course, what happened wasn't good. And the chief priests and the Pharisees knew when they heard the parables that he was talking about them, but they couldn't touch him. Why? Because they were scared of the people. Wow. That first domino is falling. We'll see it where it goes the next few weeks. So this week as you go, number one, read Matthew 22. 
We're getting into the great stories of Jesus this last week. Number two, spend some time exploring all the prophecies. Matthew's full of prophecies. I tell people all the time when they say, do you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? Yes. Why? Read the prophecies. There are just too many of them for any one person to just somehow accidentally fit all of them into his life. Read the prophecies. Number three, continue to pray. Let's pray for those who don't know Jesus, specifically in Hendersonville. I know many of us are from other communities, Madison, Gallatin, White House, but let's pray for the people in Hendersonville, where we are. Pray for them. And then number four, what about you? Are you believing? And if believing, are you producing the fruit God's looking for? If not, maybe it's time to make a decision. Tax collectors and prostitutes were flocking to Jesus, as were so many others. Religious leaders said no. Jesus says there will be consequences. Maybe it's time to come to Jesus. Uh, we're going to sing a song. We're going to have elders who are going to be, uh, they're going to be in the front lobby and the back lobby immediately after our last song. I'm going to be standing up here. If you have a need, I'll be glad to help you. Or you can go to one of our elders and they'd be glad to help you. Uh, whether it's to obey the gospel, we can set up a baptism, or whether it's prayers, we're here to help you. Let us know how we can. As together we stand and sing.